Good morning, everyone. Good to see you all this morning. I would uh, encourage you this morning to turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5 is uh, where we're going to be beginning this morning. So I'd like you to turn there. Uh, This text and the text that Carmel mentioned earlier uh, both have a strong relationship to our uh, topic that we'll be looking at this morning, and that is the topic of shepherding God's flock. You know, we live in an age of celebrity preachers, um, pastoring megachurches, and expectations on people's part run high. If you don't like the person that spoke in your church on Sunday, you can go out and find on the internet, some of it speaks really good. And the result of that is that it makes uh, pastoral ministry very challenging. Expectations can run extremely high. And to be truthful at times can be discouraging. I remember as a young pastor, one of the first pastoral conferences I went to was at a church out in Chicago. I don't know what I was thinking. Um, When I got there, I realized that this church had 20,000 people attending on each weekend. This is about 25 years ago. And uh, I have to tell you, I didn't come home from that conference encouraged. I came home from that conference thinking, oh my word. It was uh, overwhelming. Um, It set the bar at a place that just felt so far out of reach. I think sometimes also as pastors we can get overwhelmed because we think that our job is to change the culture, that it's to change the world around us. And that also can be discouraging because that is a daunting task. I'm thankful that as you begin to read through the Word of God and as you begin to study texts that talk about pastoral leadership and pastoral ministry, that the job description given in Scripture is very tight and very focused. Uh, It's not large and overwhelming if you're walking in dependence upon the Spirit of God. But one of the things that you do struggle with is the issue of expectations, Uh, Most people in the context of church life have expectations for church leaders. I hear this all the time. These are three things that have been said to me over time. You don't look like a pastor, which makes me think, what does he look like? (laughs) Uh, You don't act like a pastor. So my wife reminds me of that on a regular basis. Uh, so, so just over time, you get, you have these expectations, uh, what people think you will be like, or, and, and, and most expectations are drawn from cultural understanding of what a pastor is to be or from personal experience. Sometimes people will come to a, a church and it's new to them and they'll say something to one of the pastoral team members like this. They'll say, you know, the pastor at the church I used to go to was really amazing. And you can feel it coming, right? This is my death. (laughs) Uh, I have to tell you, that makes me very nervous when people start going on and on about what they've experienced and how beautifully and how beautiful and wonderful it was. I often want to say to them, I think you're probably going to be a little discouraged here because we don't have those guys here. Uh, that's, 
a unique experience. You probably should never have thought of leaving that church. Our aim today is not to find out what the culture thinks a pastor should be, because really we should say, I don't care. Our job is to find out what does the Word of God say a pastoral leader should be like, because this helps in two ways. It helps for you as participants in the body of Christ, as members of a church family, to know what you should rightfully insist upon and expect from pastoral leadership. And there are very specific expectations that you should have and that you can have. There are things that you should push for. There are things that you should expect from a pastoral or leadership team in the context of church life. In our church family, we have pastors and elders. We have a pastoral team, uh, three of us who are charged with the task of preaching and teaching the Word of God on a regular basis in our church family. We also have the blessing of three lay elders in our church family who are a tremendous and consistent encouragement and blessing to our church family. The distinction that you'll find in Timothy is that there are those that labor hard at preaching the word. And that is a a distinction I think you'll find between lay leadership in the church and what we would call largely in our culture pastoral leadership in the church. And so the question that begins to emerge is, What are the appropriate expectations of those that serve in pastoral ministry? What should individuals in the church family expect from those that are involved in church leadership? Okay, that is an utterly and completely fair question and one that we should ask. The text I'd like you to turn your attention to is 1 Peter 5, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 4. Here's what the text says. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's suffering, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock. Now you start to settle into the theme of this passage of Scripture. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. Watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of glory that will never fade away. And I think this text is so helpful for the discussion that we have before us today, and that is the responsibility of leaders in the church. Last week, we looked at the character of church leaders, and here's what you'll find as you study Scripture. The length of character qualifications for spiritual leadership is much larger and longer than is the list of responsibilities, okay? The Bible always puts emphasis first on who you are and then moves to what you do. What you do does not matter if you are not a godly individual in your sphere of influence. That's the focus of what Doug shared with us last week. Your life, the direction you are moving in, matters in in an incredible way in your personal life. So... Peter appeals as a seasoned minister of the gospel. He calls out to pastoral leaders and calls them to certain things. The command that governs the whole text is this. Shepherd God's 
flock. Okay, so what is Peter doing? What Peter is doing is he is introducing an analogy or a metaphor, if you will, to help us to understand what pastoral function is like. Okay, so the command is shepherd the flock of God. So the picture is of a shepherd and of sheep. Okay, the main focus, I believe, of that analogy is that sheep are domestic animals. They do not live out in the wild. They there would die. They live in a realm or sphere of protection where provision is given for them. That's the, 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 the very simple kind of outflow of this metaphor or analogy. So I want you to think in that way. As, as a pastor, my job, our task is to be involved in leading and protecting. Okay, And the job of sheep, or the task, if you will, is that there is some relationship of following between them and the leader. Okay, And I don't think that we're to play out the metaphor in every way. I think it's this very simple understanding that, that a, a flock of sheep need a leader. Okay, And I think that's the picture. Here's the question that we're begging from the text today, and that is, what is this leader to be like? What are the mandates that God's word lays out for those that serve in pastoral leadership so that we understand our job and so that you can have fair and appropriate expectations of your pastoral leadership team? So, that is the analogy that focuses. Now, the flock in context, what is it? Okay, the flock in context is a local church where a pastor is called as a shepherd to bring leadership and guidance to a group of people. That group of people in context is called the flock of God or the body of Christ. Okay, that's the, that's the picture in context. Now, the truth is that many pastors tend to think that their responsibility lies outside of the church. And what you find in this text, in most of the texts that talk about pastoral leadership, is that the focus of ministry is not changing the culture out there. The focus of ministry is serving and leading and teaching the people in the body of Christ so that as we go out into the world together, we make a difference in the culture. So the pastor's job is not to change the culture. His job is to turn on the light of the world and to make the salt saltier so that when it goes out into the culture, there is an impact. There is a difference being made. Okay, that's the job of a pastor. The thought of bringing change to the culture, for me personally, would be absolutely overwhelming. Okay, to try to affect change in the world that you and I live in would be profoundly difficult. You watch politicians try to bring about an influence change and you think to yourself, how painful and difficult that task must be. How overwhelming. But the context helps us because it narrows down this function of church leadership, this task of church leadership into what I'm going to list as three very simple and yet powerful and clear categories. So what does a shepherd do for sheep? And I'm going to give you three words. First of all, a shepherd's job is to feed the sheep. Okay? It's to feed the sheep. They find pasture where there is good food, and they lead the sheep to the pasture. Now, as you read through Scripture, here's something you'll find. You'll find that the Word of God is frequently spoken of as food. In 1 Peter, I believe it's chapter 1, the writer says, 
crave the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow. So what is the job of a pastor? His job in this regard is to feed the flock. And there's two words in the New Testament that help us to understand how that happens. Okay, there's the word for teaching and there's the word for preaching. Okay, teaching is uh, what is done in a classroom setting, often line upon line, laying out a very simple and basic understanding of biblical truth so that people can treasure it and be changed by it. Okay, so that's this idea of giving a formal lesson or informal lesson. And this is, in a sense, what discipleship is. It can happen in a classroom setting. It can happen in a one-on-one setting. It can happen in a small group setting. But the job is to teach the Word of God so that people have information that leads to transformation. And the second task that's pointed out in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, is the preaching of God's Word. So 2 Timothy 4, 2 says this to pastors. It says, preach the Word. And do it all the time. Do it when it's popular and when it's unpopular. Do it when it's what they want to hear and do it when it's not what they want to hear. So this idea of nourishing the flock and feeding the flock and meeting the spiritual needs that are present in the context of church life is one of the fundamental basic responsibilities of a pastor. Now, there is a difference between what happens on a Sunday morning preaching session and a Uh, Sunday evening class session, all right? Teaching is what? It's laying out truth line upon line. Preaching has the aim of exhortation. It's a shepherd standing before sheep calling to action. That's the idea, okay? So it is a, a pointed discussion that aims to correct or encourage a new pattern of life and behavior, okay? So, so that's, When you come on Sunday morning, that's what you should expect. That the Word of God will be taught and the Word of God will be preached with a call to action that you can lay hold of and put into action in the week that is before you as you seek to live in this world. Now, as a pastoral team, here's something we encourage amongst ourselves. We encourage what we call tethered preaching. Okay? What is tethered preaching? Tethered means it's tied to something. Okay, so what we strive to do is to preach in a way that is tied to a specific text. So the focus of my preaching this morning is 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. Okay, so you tie to that text and you unpack that text in a way that brings truth into people's lives in this context so that they understand better what a shepherd is to do and how they as sheep should respond. So that will be the exhortation to be responsive to the leadership that God has brought into your church and to become the body of Christ that he wants us to be. Here's the way I I, I share this with people by analogy. In the past, I would say to people when they would visit our church and they were in, in the process of looking, going to different places, I would say to them, look, when you go to a church, one of the things you want to do is take note if people are carrying a Bible into church with them. Okay, now why? That, that's more difficult today because a lot of you use your phone for your Bible, right? You saw I was reading in the Bible the other day, and I, at first I was like, what's that mean? <laughs> I get it now, okay? I understand. But what was, my, what was my, my encouragement? My encouragement was make sure you're going to a place where people bring the Word of God and hear the Word of God. There's an expectation. 
Just like when I go to a restaurant, I have an expectation that I'm going to get a menu and that I'm going to be able to order food. That's what a restaurant does, right? And so when you come to the house of God on a Sunday, you should have an expectation that today I will hear the word of God. That's the pastor's job as a shepherd is to feed the flock. And that's something you should push us to do. Okay, that's our God-given responsibility. You have every right to push us on that. Why are pastors called to do that? Here's why. Ephesians 4.12 says this. Pastors are given to the church. Teachers are given to the church to equip the church for the work of ministry. That literally means to make disciples, to make people, to raise up people who are following Christ as they begin to hear the truth about Christ and they go out into the world to begin to live that truth. Now you can understand why the job description for the pastor isn't change the culture. The pastor's task is to teach the word in such a way that it exhorts and encourages people to life change so that when those people go out into the world, there is cultural change. That's how we become the light of the world and the salt of the earth that Jesus talked about. Not by pastors going out and doing all the work. We could never accomplish what you by the Spirit can do. And so the genius of the design is teach and preach the Word of God so that people are equipped with the knowledge and information that they need so that when they go out into the world, they are effective witnesses for Christ and agents of change in the culture. That, to me, is the exciting part of pastoral ministry. That people hear, and when people begin to live the truth of God's Word, amazing things will begin to happen. Now, here's what you'll find then. Because we live in an age that focuses a lot on church growth. Okay? I think God, via His Word, is concerned about church health. And when a church is healthy and the people are maturing, as they go out into the world, they become an impact on the culture, and then the church begins to grow. Okay? So we don't grow by focusing on growth. We grow by focusing on hearing God's Word, putting it into practice. That changed life is an incredible magnet in the church that will attract people to come and see what God is doing. Okay, so the first aspect of this metaphor is they are to feed the flock of God. Secondly, very clear, and I think somewhat on the face of this text, is that shepherding is about leading the flock of God. So in the text, verse 2, it says this. Let's read Be shepherds of the flock of God that is under your care. So there's this idea of and you hate to use hierarchical structures, but it's, it's the way that it kind of works at work. You have a boss. The boss is not better than you, but the boss has a different set of responsibilities than you have. Okay? The same thing is true in the context of church life. When Peter talks about the flock of God and the pastor being a shepherd, he, he's giving to the leader and understanding that you up here are responsible for those people. So the, the, the structure is in place to emphasize roles and responsibilities, okay? That that is your God-given duty and task. Take it seriously, okay? So as a pastor and as a member of a pastoral team, we have this responsibility, the text says, to, okay, the flock under your care, watching over them, 
Okay, and the word that's used there is the, the word, if, if you've ever read in an older translation of the Bible, the word overseer. Okay, it's one who is given by definition of their job a different perspective. Okay, as a pastor, I'll tell you this. Uh, because I and our pastoral team, we care about people. There, there's a sense in which when I stand before you, when I walk in the foyer and see you after church, I don't simply see people. Okay, I see responsibility. I see various needs. Because why? In involving our lives with people, we become aware of various circumstances that are in your life. And we pray for you in those kind of settings because we can't just look at people. I can't just look at Phil and Leslie. I know their life story. So there are relationships within their life and, 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 and marriages and all that stuff within their life. And all that comes to my mind. I can't help that. It's part of our job of, of oversight and, and, and giving direction and leadership to the body of Christ because we're invested in that by design. God puts them, he says, here, this is a flock of people that you are accountable to me for. Watch over them and guide them. Treat them like a shepherd would treat his sheep. God wants us to serve as overseers, to bring guidance and protection. That is leadership. And if you think of the analogy of shepherds, you know that a shepherd always had a rod and a staff. One was used for correction. One was used for rescue. Okay, I think it helps you to start to understand the nature of the task that God gives to pastors in terms of responsibility. Okay, that we are to have our eye out. We are to be watching out for things that are good and helpful and beneficial for you. And we're to watch out for false teaching and those types of things that draw you away from the work of God. Okay, that is our God-given task. The text also says in verse 3, not lording it over them, that is those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. You know, uh, when we teach on parenting, we, we often talk about how truth is communicated, how life principles are communicated. Here's what we say. All right, truth is taught in formal and informal ways. Truth can be taught to people, but more often than not, truth is caught by people. Meaning this, how you live as a parent has a direct impact on the behavior of your child. If your child sees you get pulled over by the state police and you cock an attitude... You're teaching your kids in that moment, okay? You're teaching by your example. How you responded in that moment said something to your kids about how they should respond to authority. Do you understand? Okay. Paul says this. Be an example to the flock, not a boss to the flock. And the, the text is, is, is kind of playing here a little bit. And the idea of being a boss, and just look in... Uh, Verse 3, where it says, not lording it over those. The idea, it, 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 the way the verb is set up, it has the idea of behavior that is detrimental, overbearing, controlling. The pastor's job is not to control your life. It's not to make your decisions. It's to lead you to truth that enables you to be effective in life. And they, how they live is something you should be able to follow. That's why the character of the leader is so important. Last Saturday, I was uh, finishing work on this house that I've been working on in Millington, New Jersey. And uh, praise God, the house went under contract in five days, which is awesome, okay? 
Now, I'm in the house finalizing a couple things, getting ready for the all-feared inspection, right, Lee? Home inspectors, okay? They, they cause people that are selling houses to live in fear and trepidation, but I am not afraid, okay? So I'm in the house working, and I hear, hello, from the front door. I'm, I'm, nobody has ever stopped by at this house because nobody knows where it is except my wife. So when I heard that, I'm like, is that another real estate agent bringing someone to see the house? Well, it was a real estate agent, but it was actually the lady that sold the house. She was bringing the parents of the young couple that's buying the house to come and look at the house, kind of scope it out. I was like, oh, I, I, do you want me to leave? Because it's kind of awkward. I'm not supposed to be here when the house is being shown. And so they're like, no, 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 you can stay. The, guy, the couple was incredibly friendly. We got talking for about five minutes. And about five minutes into it, I'm like, are you guys Christians? And they said, yes, yeah, a matter of fact, we are. I got into this discussion about church life. Walk around the house and, and finish looking at everything. I'm explaining stuff to them and trying to tell them how, what's good, what's bad, all this kind of stuff. And we to get ready to leave, and all of a sudden they're like, let's pray. I was like, that's cool. Got talking a little further. They found out I was a pastor and blah, blah. And then as they're leaving, I'm thinking to myself, oh, my word. I just upped the ante in terms of integrity and expectations. You understand what I'm saying, right? Now they know I'm a pastor. <laughs> I can't fudge. I thought, like, oh, darn. <laughs> Why did I say that? And I, used to, I do a pretty good job of keeping that a secret because, remember, I don't look like a pastor and act like a pastor. Okay? But I, I'm going to tell you this. Because they are brothers and sisters in Christ, I felt a ratcheting up of obligation to show integrity in the sale of that house. Funny thing, right? Because we are, as believers, to lead by example. As leaders, we are to give you an example that you can follow. And when that, 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 that need to be an example raises the ante, it causes us to say, God, I need your help to do this effectively. Help me. Every parent should be crying out in this way to God. Your relationship to the body of Christ will affect your children's relationship to the body of Christ. Just as your response to authority will. Okay? Our being examples is a, an incredible, incredible truth. You know, I thought of the life of Christ, and I thought, what is the most memorable sermon that Jesus ever preached? You know what I think it is? I think it's John 13. Because you know what it was? It was an example followed by truth. When he washed the feet of the disciples and they recoiled at the thought of it. And he said, I must do this. And they're like, reluctantly, okay. And when he's done, he says to them, you see what I did? Go and do that. Go and love people like I loved you, you rascals. Who at times are difficult and unpredictable and denying and fighting and arguing. And I love you. And he says to them, what you saw me do, go and do that. As pastors, the the greatest sermon we preach is the sermon of our lives. And that's fearful. That's scary territory. Because we know that we are imperfect men given a task from God. I think the last, so the last charge that comes to the church then is the charge, or to pastors, is the charge of care. And I love that this text 
when it talks about the sheep-shepherd relationship, there is, there is bound up in this text a tenderness and a concern. It's always present when you look at, at the, the picture or the analogy of sheep and shepherd, right? Sometimes you see the, the shepherd carrying a sheep, right? And that, sometimes people will have that picture on their wall because what does that picture say? It prompts very strong tender affection. That's what it does. It, it, it drives emotionally. And you say, I'm thankful that God is my shepherd through his son, Jesus Christ, and that he carries me. And that's the picture here. Shepherd the flock that is under your care. They are your charge from God. They are your God-given sphere of influence and responsibility. And the idea is that it is God's flock. A pastor should never say, my church. Because it never is. I am always at best, we are always at best, under shepherds. Meaning, we function under an ultimate shepherd. To whom I do not hold a candle. I am not the shepherd. I am a shepherd with a small s. Given by God substantial obligations to feed, lead, and care for the church of God. So this last thought of caring. I love how Peter sets this up in verse 2. He says, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. Watching over them. And listen to these qualifiers. These are important. Not because you must Okay, what does that say? It says that the affection and the care that a pastor pours out on people must not be done as duty or job. It must flow out of a different kind of heart. It cannot be done, he says next. He says, do it because you are willing. That word is fascinating because it means because you're enthusiastic about it. It lights your fire to see people growing in Christ and overcoming struggles and difficulties as you exercise care, which I think takes into this idea of counsel and giving direction in the tender seasons of life and the difficult seasons of loss. You're there. People expect you to be there. Even though you can read through the Bible all you want, you'll never find that the pastor's job is to do weddings. You'll never find it's pastor's job to do funerals to go to birthday parties, all those things. But those things can be settings in which you fulfill your God-given responsibility as a minister of the gospel. Reaching out to people in times of need. That's what care is. That's what a, a, a pastor is charged with God to do. And it's to be enthusiastic, acting as a comforter, a guide, a counselor, helping in life decisions, comforting in life struggles, giving biblical counsel. Now, I want to tell you something. Giving of care is not something that I always find to be easy. I love this church. We've been here a long time. Some people say, yeah, maybe too long. (laughs) It's been a long time. And here's what I would say to you. I have a friend that has a saying. He says... I'm going to edit this a little bit. Life isn't always Mountain Dew and Skittles. Okay? 
You can choose your drink. <laughs> Phil's laughing because he's who I got this from. Okay? It's not always that way. Ministry is not always something I love doing. Sometimes ministry is something I know before God I should do. And there are times where it can slip into being duty. And you've got to fight against that and say, this needs to flow out of heart that loves people because I am so loved by God. That's a, that's a fight that every human being has. I say this to my, I said this to my daughters when I was raising them, that I always love you, but I don't always like you. Some behavior that you exhibit is not likable. Love is a commitment. It will never change. I will always love you. But I can't tell you I always like you. It's not always easy caring for difficult people. It's not. And I'm one of them. Because I don't act like a pastor enough. (laughs) That's reality. But this text doesn't bring in any conditions. It doesn't say... Be caring towards the sheep of God when and if. No conditions whatsoever. The call on a pastor's life and leadership is just like the call of Christ on his own life. He laid down his life for rebels like you and I. That truth should drive everything we do in difficult moments. You're struggling with loving someone that doesn't deserve it? That's everybody around you, by the way. Get back to the cross. Get back to the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep, who dies for undeserving people. And let that transform your life. As a pastor, let that transform your caring for people. Let that change you. Let that confront your self-centeredness and wanting an easy road where ministry is nice and clean and comfortable. Sometimes I jokingly say to people, I grew up in retail. I got out of retail because I was tired of dealing with people. You, just gotta, you have to think about that for a second. In conclusion, let me say this. This text addresses the motivation for ministry. Why do it? Why do any of the hard things in Christian living? Peter starts with that. And he ends this paragraph with that. Look at verse 1. To the elders I, appear as a, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's suffering who will also share in the glory to be revealed. What is Peter saying? As I talk about selfless sacrificial ministry, I think of Christ. And I think of the reward that is breaking into my life. And I think there, there's a sense in some translations that Peter is already laying hold of future reward and it is sustaining him in the present context. As he thinks of the suffering of Christ, there is a willingness to endure difficult service for the glory of Christ who has so redeemed him. But what does he do? He talks about a future glory that drives and motivates everything. Then go down to verse 5 and you're going to find that this is a parenthesis on this text. Or verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears... You will receive a crown of glory that will never fade away. I don't have anything in my life that's like that. I bought myself a truck a year and a half ago. My tailgate is rusting out already. That is so aggravating. Right? It looks nice. It's always a 2006, but it looks nice. But it's fading. It's got rust on the frame. All kinds of stuff, right? 
It's a perpetual frustration that we face in a broken world. But our ultimate driver as believers, as leaders in the church, should be one audience. The one that's coming who will judge the quick and the dead at his appearing. And that's the thing that every parent, that every pastor needs to keep in mind as they do the work that God has called them to do. I am doing this for Christ. There is an ultimate reward. There is an ultimate driver that pulls us through the difficult, muddy, messy seasons of life. And that is what Peter brings up here. You will receive an unfading crown of glory, a supernatural beauty that time cannot impair. You buy flowers, what happens? They look great for a while. And then they start to fade. You know what Peter says? He says the key motive for Christian service is that he is coming. And that when he comes, his reward is with him. And all faithful service will be recognized. One of my favorite verses in the New Testament is Hebrews 6.10. God is not unjust. He will not forget the labor of love that you have poured out and continue to pour out on his people. He is incapable of forgetting. That's a powerful truth. If you are working through a difficult season of life or a difficult relationship and you're trying to say, where do I get the strength, the drive, the motivation to love this person or serve this person or teach this? Where do I get it? Remember, he's coming. And his reward is with him. And his reward is unfading. It'll never go away. All unseen toil, all unseen labor, all suffering, pain, nights awake, burden bearing, done in hope, are worth it. I want you to keep that in mind this morning. You know, as a pastor, I've been at this for a while. I mentioned earlier, and by the way, when I, when I was joking about being here 29 years and some saying maybe too long, that's honestly never happened, okay? If anybody's ever thought that, it's me. As I was finalizing my notes last night, I, I had this weird thought come to mind. I thought, I have been here 29 years. A month ago, I turned 58. All this funny math started to fly through my head. Could it be? I have been here half of my life. And you have endured. <laughs> here's, here's what I want to say. I want to say, number one, I have a wife who gladly serves you without complaint. And I couldn't do it without her. And I want you to know that so you can thank her. And when I say without complaint, I mean without complaint. If there's a complainer in our house, his name is Tim. I'm a good complainer. I've enjoyed being a pastor at the chapel for 29 years. I, I will tell you that it's always fun because it's not always fun. Sometimes it's just downright hard. It's what it's like working with us. I don't have any horror stories of complaints. I don't. I get together with some pastors and I hear their stories and I'm like, God must have known I couldn't handle that. 
So it's with joy that the service comes. Why do it? Well, you don't go into ministry for income. You don't go into ministry to get rich, although some appear to do that. That's not God's purpose and intent. You do it because it's what God called you to do. It's what God appointed you to do. And Paul would remind Timothy of that on a regular basis as you read through the pastoral letters and teaching. What he's saying to Timothy is God called you to this. You were ordained to this. At your ordination, there were words of prophecy spoken over you to sustain you in this. Remember those things. God called you to this work and to this ministry. He appointed you. And I'll tell you this, there are times I have to remind myself, God called you to this. And that's why it should be done. Out of obedience to Him, driven by the work of Christ. It's the way it should be in our lives. I remember 35 years ago, my parents happened to be here today. I remember 35 years ago going to my dad to tell him that I was going to leave the family business. To which I thought he would respond with begging and pleading. And he didn't. What he said to me was, if God wants you in ministry, we don't want you here. In other words, if God wants you somewhere, go. And do it for the glory and honor of God. You see, ministry is a calling from God that every pastoral leader should sense. That this is what God has called me to. This is where he will sustain me and enable me to be effective. And we need to remember as we work through all of this that he will commend faithful service in a lavish and unfading way. His desire is not that we be successful, but that we be faithful. And it's true for all of us in our Christian experience. So these two simple applications... Every Sunday, we meet to preach and teach the Word of God. And I want to encourage you as a church family to come. Come faithfully. Come expecting that we will fulfill our God-given task. And as we fulfill our God-given task to preach and teach the Word of God, that your life will change for the glory of God. That is His sovereign, beautiful, powerful design. That as we bring God's truth, line upon line, precept upon precept, truth upon truth, it's shepherding and it's changing you and redirecting you and reshaping you. That's what God called us to do. And the Holy Spirit, thankfully, joins in this work and takes weak things and does great things through them. That's what God does. So I want to encourage you. Make Sunday morning a priority. So that you can grow. That's God's design. He calls us to preach. He calls you to come, to listen, and to put into action. Take the exhortation and do it. So that's my call to you this morning. If my job and James's job and Doug's job is to preach truth to effect change in your life, then your responsibility is to say, I want to be faithful in my attendance to the body of Christ. I want to be there to participate in worship. I want to be there to hear the word of God so the spirit of God can take that truth and transform my life and make me the leader in my life that he wants me to be. The last thing I would say is this, is application. And I mean mean this sincerely from my heart. I don't have regrets about being a pastor. I covet your prayers. We as a pastoral team covet your prayers. As a leadership team, we covet and need your prayers. So as you think about 
the job. Call us to care. Call us to lead. Call us to feed the body of Christ. Do that. You have every right to insist that that be done. Here's what we would ask you to do. Pray for us. You know, it always amazes me when I come to the end of Galatians chapter 6. Paul's in prison nearing the end of his life. And he writes to the people in Ephesus. He says, pray for me that I will fill my calling to preach the gospel as I should. I read that many times and then one day it just blew me away. Here's a guy in prison, courageous, bold, suffering, bleeding for Christ. And at the end he says, pray for me so that the task that God has called me to will be completed. Why? I don't trust myself. I don't trust my strength, my energy, stamina. I don't trust it. Trust God. And we beg for your prayers. Come and listen and be changed. Pray, pray, pray. That God will do great and glorious things through the chapel. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we thank you for your word that is alive and sharper than any two-edged sword that, that pierces to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit of the joints and marrow. It knows us, it uncovers us, it exposes us, and it, by the power of the Spirit, changes us. So, Lord, help us as pastoral leaders, as elders in this church, to be more and more committed to the task of feeding, leading, and caring. And Lord, help your church to be responsive so that for all of us, this is a joy and not a burden, but a delight, as Hebrews 13 says. So the Lord, when we go out of this place on Sunday, we are agents of change in the culture, change that will blow our minds one day when we see what you have done. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We ask these blessings in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.